Good morning. I like that. Thank you. My name is Kirk Langenfelter. For those of you who don't know me, I'm an elder here as well as a fellow attendee. And uh, I want to thank you for joining me uh, as we come together to sit under God's word and uh, the true teacher, the Holy Spirit. As some of you may know, I served the Lord as a public school teacher here for Brainerd Public Schools and have done so for 28 years. And uh, today, however, I find myself in the uh, often scorned position as the substitute teacher, and, uh, or the sub. You know. um, but there are a number of obvious differences I see here um, uh, between my position, uh, teacher position, and this one. One of which is I can't send you to the office for misbehavior or uh, take away your phone for using it during class. Um, but on a more serious note, the greatest difference is the curriculum. Uh, the curriculum I've been given today to share with you is the inspired Word of God. This is a responsibility I take seriously. Uh, unlike the material I teach my students, um, the Holy Word of God is inerrant. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Today I'm counting on God to do just as His Word says. So if the Holy Spirit has something to say to you through God's Word, He will speak to you regardless of the words I use. The truth, this truth gives me confidence that no matter what I am or what I say, the curriculum will teach itself. All I need to do is present it. For this, I am thankful, and therefore I'm excited to be your substitute teacher this morning. By way of housekeeping item, in my classroom, I have a rule that allows my students to take care of any emergency as a need arises. For instance, a bathroom emergency or a situation that requires a visit to a nurse. An emergency as urgency. This rule allows the student to leave the classroom immediately without a pass or verbal permission and proceed to their destination in order to remedy the situation as needed. Well, as mentioned earlier, God's word can move us. And if at any time you feel the need, for whatever reason, to cry out to God, we have very loving and capable servants of God ready to assist you in your emergency and urgency in the prayer corner back there. So feel free to use that as need rises. Our curriculum this morning is found in God's textbook, the Bible, and in particular, Psalm 55. If you do not have a textbook, we have copies available in the back for you to use. So feel free to grab one. If you do not own a Bible, please feel free to take one and keep it. Before we jump into our lesson today, would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your word that guides us to you. 
I ask that you remove any distractions that we have and allow your Holy Spirit to speak as we listen. It is in the name of Jesus we ask this. Amen. The main idea I'd like you to take away today is this. Faithful followers of Christ cast their cares on him. So our lesson today comes from Psalm 55, a psalm of David. And having read this psalm a number of times, I've broken it into what seems to me some natural segments. After doing so, I couldn't help but come up with a few observations. I also found many reveal a common human emotion or experience. Naturally, they also do a wonderful job of showing us who God is. So today I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. If you have a Bible or electronic device, great. Um, Middle of it, Psalms usually. Look for the 55, and that's where I'm going to begin. And I'm going to read a couple verses, and I'm not going to read the whole thing at once, but I'll just break it into the parts that I have, okay? So Psalm 55 uh, follow with me, uh, follow along with me. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they drop trouble on me, and in anger. They bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. What we read here in these first few verses reflect the common human experience of being hurt emotionally a wound of both heart and mind. Notice David's view of life, his eyes. The psalmist is perhaps distracted by the reality of his current experience experience and how these circumstances affect him. He's emotionally wounded. This can be determined by his words. Anguish, terror, fear, trembling. In our flesh, we find ourselves, when we find ourselves in this situation, we often display very human characteristics. Here I've picked three of them out. First one I notice is an inward focus. Notice the numerous times. David used the I, me, my statements in there. I counted 14. David's eyes are focused on himself. When we do this, or we do this when we've been hurt. We do this. Second thing I notice here is a preoccupation with the present. He's taking his eyes, literal eyes and heart eyes, off what's important. 
There can be a loss of proper perspective when external factors have our attention. Allow me to share with you a quick example of Scripture, two very different perspectives of the same situation. I'm just going to hold my thumb here in Psalm 55 and go back to 2 Kings 6, verses 15 through 17. And what we have here is Elisha the prophet and his servant. And just in these couple of quick verses, we can get how two different perspectives can happen of the exact same situation. Look at this. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Notice the different views of the same situation. One saw impending doom in the armies all around, and the other saw victory in the presence of God. The third thing I notice here is the very real mental, physical, and emotional maladies that came as a result of emotional distress. Restlessness, moan, anguish, terrors, fear, trembling, and horror. All very real manifestations of emotional wounds. What we also observe are a couple common human responses for a person who has been hurt or wounded. Notice his crying out. To cry out is very natural response. Notice the pleading in his voice. Specifically, David is crying out to God. We'll, we'll return to this. To point out, because of, because of. At this point, I don't believe he's playing a blame game. I believe he's getting to the source. These are how the strikes are coming, or a blow-by-blow account. There is validity to his complaint. A third response here I see is to get out. Ever heard that phrase, want to get away? Right, we can all relate to that. Follow as I read the next verses here. Uh, Verse 6. It says, and I say, oh, that I had wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness, Selah. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. Notice that the psalmist would rather be in the wilderness than in this situation. Have you been there? Most of us have. You'd rather be anywhere but here. Anywhere 
but dealing with my parents right now, right, teenagers? Anywhere but dealing with my coworker right now and these bills, with my spouse, my teenager. What is described here is what psychologists call escapism. According to one psychologist, escapism is generally defined as a desire or behavior to ignore, evade, or avoid reality. Of course, the reality is that there's no place you can go to in order to escape from this preoccupation. Especially when our eyes have a flawed perspective. Look at the psalmist's view of life. His eyes go from looking inward to the environment around him as we go on to verse 9. Destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues. For I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls. And in iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace. David's focus turned to his surroundings. We do this. When we're wounded or obsessed with a situation, even the world around us looks grim. We start looking around. David looks around and he sees that the world is collapsing around him. There's chaos all around him. What was meant to keep trouble out is holding it in. The city is in a tailspin and is toxic. Everyone around him is in on it. Those of us who have been there know this feeling well. And it is very dark. It seems like everyone and everything around you is against you. David saw nothing positive. I do not doubt that during this time, David had friends. Not everyone in David's sphere was out to get him. Don't get me wrong. With the lens David was looking through, everything was bleak. Furthermore, the state of mind becomes a vortex. And draws a person in and then drives him or her to despair. Another interesting point here is that, contrary to how most humans would respond to being hurt, David, though he is king, does not reach for his sword. He does not seek personal vengeance. What does he do? Perhaps this reveals why he was a man after God's own heart. He asked God to confuse their plans or divide their tongues. I find that amazing and not what most of us would ask if we were completely honest. Now look how David now fingers the source of his affliction. I'm at verse 12. For it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolent with me, then I could hide from him. 
but it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to make sweet counsel together within God's house, and we walked in the throng. Let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive, for evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. What was the source of David's affliction? It was a close friend. One who walked with him in God's house. This is betrayal of all betrayals. This was a confidant, a trusted friend. The relationship is deep, forged in time. The message puts it this way. It's you. We grew up together. You, my best friend. Those long hours of leisure as we walked, arm in arm. God, a third party to our conversation. Teenagers, this is your BFF, your bestie. Adults, your lifelong friend. You went to kindergarten together. You pierced your ears together. A close confidant, maybe a co-worker, a high school buddy, small group member, or even a spouse. Betrayal. We can all relate to betrayal. The hurt of betrayal cuts deep and wide. The damage ravages a person emotionally and mentally, so much so it manifests physically. And David, a man after God's own heart, a warrior and king, was not spared from the cutting blade of betrayal. Remember the earlier verses when he describes his condition? Restless, moan, anguish. Terrors, fear, trembling, horror? Perhaps you find yourself here, deeply wounded by another. And you find yourself holding on tightly to the hurt, the anger and resentment toward those who have hurt you. The longer memories linger, the longer the pain holds on. The hurt stings more as the stronger we hold on to the feelings of anger, bitterness, and resentment. But something I've noticed is that as we hold on tighter and clench harder, we find that we are the ones being held captive. We are held captive by the bad feelings an outright sin of unforgiveness that we harbor toward others. The tighter we hold and the stronger we grip, the more we drain out the joy and peace of our lives. We often become ineffective and weak. If this is you, sitting here, with wounds that are still fresh from the betrayal 
or maybe some other mistreatment from a formerly trusted individual, can I encourage you by saying God has lovingly brought you here for his purpose? I would ask that you trust him in this. If you're here and feeling the pain of betrayal or any other weight on your heart and need someone to pray with you, don't be afraid to get up and go to the back corner. Emergency has urgency. We have people there who are ready and willing to pray with you and for you. Let's read on. Verse 16. But I will call to God. I have to stop. Notice, this is an abrupt change. But. I can't help but notice a change in tone and vision. It is as if David is now putting himself in check. Or even my human inclination is to do this, but I will call to God. This is different than in the beginning of the psalm. He was speaking to God, but do you remember where his eyes were? Eyes inside. David's eyes are now now being drawn upward toward God. A sweet place. A refuge. A savior. His faithfulness. His showing up in the time of God's need. So 16 says, But I will call to God and the Lord will save me. Yeah, God. He will save me. Now I recall God. Yeah, God saves. You can almost see his eyes coming into proper focus here. God shows up when his people are in need. This is what I call a but God moment. A time when God showed up. When your eyes were open to God's faithfulness, they serve as powerful reminders for us to put our eyes back into focus. Faithful followers of Christ have but God stories, don't you? Maybe you have one or many. Continuing on, verse 17. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed against me. So perhaps this is a look back, or a remembrance, or a prior experience for David. David is reminded of God's saving power. He stands on God's promises and is never changing faithfulness. You hear it in his use of the present tense. He hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety. Not only was he taught this from his youth, but it's a regular experience for David. Notice also the change in vision. David's eyes have been drawn upward by his remembrance of God's saving grace. Compassion. He hears my voice. The love, 
and redemption. The message puts it this way. My life is well and whole, secure in the middle of danger. Here's where David serves as God's role model for us, faithful followers of Christ. What God wants us to do in this situation. Eyes up. We can almost see David opening his tightly clenched hand that is holding on to all his anger, all his bitterness, all his rage, his hurt, his pain. As his fingers uncurl, it's as though he releases his grip on the situation and hands it over to God. Verse 19. God will give ear and humble them. He who is enthroned from of old, because they do not change. They and do not fear God. David is saying, God hears. He will take care of this. He's always been a righteous judge, so I'll let him judge, be the judge of this. And in doing so, acknowledges God's sovereignty. Verse 20, my companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. David is saying, my former buddy is a sick, slick, sly snake. Lies, deceit, breach of trust are his M.O. He has ulterior motives. David has made his case, presented the evidence, and now rests his case. It is here that David goes on to give advice as from one who has been there. His eyes are now looking out at us and forward in time. His admonishment transcends time. Verse 22. Cast your burden on the Lord, and He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. And then David goes on to trust God with the consequences. But you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days. But I will trust in you. Notice this is a personal statement. Trust in who? In God. And David pointed, as David pointed out in the psalm, the God who patiently listens. We saw this in the first few verses as he was crying and moaning. The God who is compassionate. The God who understands our situation. The God who responds. The God who is the only righteous judge. 
the God who not only takes our pain, our burdens, our cares, but who wants to. The God who draws our eyes to him. The God who redeems our soul in safety from the waging battle. The God who sustains or holds up. The God who saves. The God who is trustworthy. Can you make that statement? But I will trust in you. Faithful followers of Christ, stop holding things back. Stop trying to take care of things yourself. Stop harboring the pain, anger, and bitterness. Give your cares, cast your cares on him. Give him everything and trust him for the results. Maybe you're sitting here today and you've never trusted God with your life. Never have given him complete control. Never trusted him for the cleansing of sin. Now is the time. He sent his son to die for your sin in your place. The Bible tells us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. A simple prayer for you. Lord, I can't do it anymore. I've sinned against you and others. Forgive me. I need you. Take my life. I give everything to you. Now feel the release and trust him to do the rest. Homework. I would be remiss if I didn't give you a homework assignment, which, by the way, is due tomorrow. As Matt says, tomorrow is Monday, you know. So here's your homework assignment. Cast your cares on him. What was the first thing on your mind this morning? What's bugging you now? No matter your situation, talk to the Lord. Tell Him about it. Tell Him your pain, your concerns, your cares. He wants them. He is patient. He is loving. He is kind. Slow to anger, quick to love, and draw you close. Just talk. Or make a list. Maybe a mental list or even an actual piece of paper. The who. The what? Be transparent. Write them down and say it out loud. Lord, concerned about my daughter this morning. Lord, my spouse. Ah, I got a job interview today, Lord. Lord, I, I don't want to talk to my friend. I just don't talk to him. Doesn't matter. Then give it all to God. Seriously. Say to him, please take this. 
And then trust him for the consequences. Enjoy the peace, the joy, and true life that comes from freedom of letting go. 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7 say, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your cares, your anxieties, on him because he cares for you. Christ, in his own words in Matthew 20, 11, 28, say, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest. Let that sink in. Now, some of you are extra credit people. You had 101% in class and you wanted to know if there is extra credit. I've seen you. I know you. So here's your extra credit. Share your but God story. Back in verse 16, we talked about how David's eyes were drawn upward by who God is. Take a moment to look back over your life for times God showed up. When your eyes were drawn upward and opened, to God's presence and faithfulness in your life. What is your but God's story? Perhaps you could write it down. Let it be your Ebenezer that you can pass on to generations. Retell it to one other person this week. Encourage somebody by it. Point them to God by it. Will you pray with me? Father, it is you alone who saves. You who draws our eyes back to your loving gaze that assures us that you have it all in control. Father, will you help us to remember? Remember your faithfulness. Remember your care for us. Remember your saving grace. Give us strength to cast our cares on you. This we ask in the name of the one who came to take away the cares and sins of the world, Jesus, your Son, and all God's people said, Amen.